I'm Sage. And I'm William. And this is Half Half As Well, Well, where we promise Tolkien lore half as much as you should like. Explained half as well as you deserve. Okay, we are on to episode three of the Rings of Power show on Amazon. Yes, uh, episode titled Adar. Once again, we're kind of in the middle of a move. We're actually in a different place than we were last week recording. So uh, there might be some background noise that that we're not really going to edit out uh, because we have a bunch of other things on our plate right now. But <laughs> one of these days we'll have an episode that's recorded in our new studio that will be <laughs> totally clean yeah. and totally wonderful. But in the meantime, we don't want to be missing out on these episodes. So let's go ahead and start with our rubric and kind of examining if this episode has furthered those three goals that that we uh, have set out for this show to, to complete. Yeah, and so going back to that letter, the Waldman letter, or letter 131, Tolkien lays out the three major themes of the Second Age. The lingering of the elves in Middle-earth, the rise and fall of Numenor, and the rise of Sauron to a new Dark Lord. Okay, let's start with the one that we didn't get in the last two episodes, the Numenorians. Yeah, we were kind of hitting two out of three with there, and this one we are as well. But yeah, we didn't see the Numenorians before, and now we got the kingdom in its full glory. Yeah, beautiful. Like, I really love the design of the kingdom itself. Oh, yeah, I think just all the design for it is dead on. Yeah. And and honestly, kind of the scale of it blew me away. I mean, I've seen a lot of art of Numenor from fans and other illustrators, but you know, the wide shot of the city Armanalos was like, wow, this is massive. Yeah. And um, uh, I, I think also I really appreciated the scenes on the boats and kind mm-hmm. of the the reinforcement that this is an island nation. And, and yeah, it's a like Mariner society. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, I really appreciated that. That's about where my positives kind of end and then my more complex feedback starts. I think we get a really good idea that the Numenorians are a proud people. Oh, absolutely. I personally think it could be done a little more delicately. Yeah, they kind <laughs> of uh, throw you right into, um, you know, the end, like the beginning of the end of Numenor. Yes. And, uh, you know, they they already have this like anti-elf sentiment that... I mean, again, with like the timeline compression, it's this happens over the course of generations, so it's kind of hard to see that. And so, by the time we see them, they're already very anti-elf, and it is just a little like right off the bat, lacking context. Yeah, I mean, I it's not so much that I, I, you know, I don't personally need the context. I understand the context. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of viewers would benefit from more context of these scenes, but. To me, it comes down to how these characters are being acted out. And I'm I'm here for the, the pride and the kind of righteous indignation that they hold. Um, the, the queen's line about how they weren't given the land of Numenor. They paid for it with the blood of their ancestors. Yeah, and I mean, when we talk about the Silmarillion, it was just like, okay, cool. The Valar sent Orome to the aid of the elves, and they made war against Morgoth on behalf of them. Yeah. But then during the First Age, because of the Noldor, uh, they just shut themselves off and right. said, like, mankind, you're on your own. Right. And so many generations of men died 
on behalf of the elves fighting Morgoth before the Valar lifted a finger. Yeah, exactly. So I can understand, like, they have a little bit of resentment, almost. To the, at least to the idea that this was a gift that totally. they were just like, uh, here you go. It's like, no, we earned no, that. No, we earned that. Yeah. And I, I really appreciate that characterization. But when it comes to kind of the bar brawling and the more petulant kind of like childish back and forth that happens in, in some of these scenes, I it just doesn't live up to the standard of what Numenorean should be yeah, like to me. I would say especially the, the people that Halbrand gets into it with. I mean, I know this is the days of their their fall and but these but we're guys, not to the fall yet. But yeah, yeah, but I'm saying even in their uh you know, the days of their pride and whatnot, I, I still would expect the Numenoreans to feel very different from the men of Middle Earth. Right. But these guys just felt like dudes. Um <laughs> Well, they, they they felt very common and they feel more common lowly. than than Halbrand does. Yeah, so I don't know. <laughs> I I found that very odd. I, like I think all the other Numenorians, like I think the royalty, like Muriel and Farazan and Elendil and all like the ship people, like the ship captain with the seal door. Sure, um, that to me really lined up with how yeah. I picture Numenorians. But then these just kind of blacksmiths, I was like. <laughs> They just feel like they could be from Westeros or something. Jackasses, yeah. yeah. Like to me, I actually don't think that this is just a problem with the portrayal of the Numenorians. This is a problem I've been having with the script the whole time. I am tired of these kind of petty little fights. And at first, I thought it's because well, there's a lot more like there's a lot of bigger problems that we're going to get into, and I'm excited for that. But what I'm realizing is that I just think they're kind of like poorly portrayed angst and drama there there's no subtlety it's it's just kind of like a bunch of people bitching at each other and or just like you're an elf we hate you kind of like the southlanders and i mean i get that there's a political context there but again it's just like something it's a little heavy-handed yeah you know it's both too heavy and and too little for me like if if we're going to be so heavy-handed with it give us more context for it uh so that we can really like vibe with it yeah i think you mentioned at one point like with the uh the Southlanders, like, I know they're under occupation and no one's happy about that, but it would be cool if we saw, like, a fight break out between the elves yeah. and them, you know? instead of... I just often feel like the people who are being portrayed as bad have a lot more of a nuanced position, and I want to understand the complexity of that, because that complexity is what brings the tension. It's yeah. not these, like, stupid, like, verbal sparrings and, and uncomfortable moments that create tension for me. They just make it feel stupid to me. Like, yeah. I'm like, these are all idiots, you know? Another thing we get that ties into, you know, the rise and fall of Numenor is this division between, you know, the Kingsmen and the Faithful. And the Faithful are people that are still loyal to the Elves and the Valar. And we definitely get the sense that Elendil and his family are of that. But Elendil's kind of, you know, trying to play it uh, safe. And I, I'm kind of just wondering, like, how dire is, you know, the political division? Like, are is it a thing where... If they saw each other, they would go to war. Like, that's why all the faithful are on the west side of the island. Is it like... I, I don't think so. I mean, I... Or is I, it just they're just kind of ostracized from society? You know, it's... It seems like more like they're underground existing within society and just like not talking about it. Um, yeah. It just... Elendil seems very, um, very worried about this. Like, in a way that it's like it would harm his family's safety if they found out their loyalty. So it just makes me wonder how tense is the political situation. I agree. That is a very 
unclear thing. Sort of the line of events we see concerning that is everyone's reaction to Galadriel, which is very negative. Mm -hmm. uh, Galadriel being kind of just as negative back. Uh, Then Elendil being questioned by Muriel. And it seems, you know, like a bad deal. And he, he really has to pretend that he doesn't believe what he does believe. But then right after that, he's like chatting with Galadriel again. And and then he's at like this pub with his... Not even a pub. It's like an open courtyard. Yeah, with his... And they seem to really be talking openly about the great Galadriel and... and There's a puppet show where Galadriel is fighting what looks almost like Morgoth. And, and it seems to be a very favorable view of the elves. And But again, it's very open. And so I'm just confused, like... Are they then on the west side? But then they're talking about the west side of the island as if that's not where they're at. No, I think so, they're still in the capital city. So it's just, to me, I'm I'm left just really confused. Like, how tense or not tense is the uh, the division here? Right, um, right. I'm not given, a, like, a context for, for what's going on. And I have more complaints about that particular scene that we'll get to later. But, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I, I just think that overall a lot of the cool conflicts between the different species and, and cultures of people that are in this story, a lot of them have been muddied by these kind of poorly written, mm-hmm. angsty, petulant scenes between characters. Yeah. And well, one thing I think is interesting, kind of going back to the, you know, the division there is the state of the former king, Tar Palantir, Muriel's father, who they say was kind of thrust out for his uh, notions of how the Numenorean should be. And we know from the books that he was the one that was kind of repenting from the path his ancestors had kind of been on from like severing ties. And so I thought that was really cool that she's the queen regent ruling while he's there. And you also see Farazan kind of uh, speaking in her ear a little bit about, you know, you know, the cloud of your father, like hope it doesn't come back. Yeah. And um, so I really like all that. That feels very in keeping with, the lore to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm really looking forward to see more of Farazan because we know where he'll end up. Yeah. But yeah, I just I, I just need a little bit more info about the faithful and the Kingsmen and what is going on on Numenor right now. And Gladriel even says just like, maybe we'll find out more about this. And you know, we never did. Yeah. So uh, yeah. I was just like, oh, okay. But overall, I'm really, I'm really liking Numenor. You know, the world building they're doing just through even um, the statues and everything. As we know, when the Numenorians come to Middle-earth, they um, are big carvers of stone. We get the gates of the Argonath, you know, the Hornburg at Helm's Deep, Isengard, Minas Tirith. Um, and here we're seeing these massive statues of what I guess are maybe the Valar. And like Almo and Halbrand's prison seem to have uh, Uinen, the Maya Lady of the Seas. And so I, I don't know. I I was just really blown away by a lot of that, and I'm glad we got hints of the Kingsmen and Faithful. I just I need more info. So we didn't see much of the elves in this episode. So that that part of the rubric is not really you know furthered by this mm-hmm. episode. But Sauron, yeah, the rise of uh, Sauron to a new Dark Lord. We're getting a little bit more of his plans and um, another contender for the identity of Sauron has come into play yeah um i think it's pretty clear that halbrand is not sauron at this point yeah um 
I mean, who knows? They could still do some other stuff. But I, I think his whole thing with his ancestor, and we'll get into that later with theories. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't think so. But again, we get Adar, who is a a new character that we've just heard about. Yeah, the namesake of the episode, but he only shows up in like the last ten seconds of the episode. <laughs> yeah, although I'd say his presence is uh, oh, felt throughout the episode, definitely. Um, and so just to jump into the name, Adar is Elvish for father. And so these orcs definitely kind of worship and revere him as a father figure. And what we've seen pictures of him, uh, the promo poster played by Joseph Maul, he's wearing what looks to be like the Noldor uh, mm-hmm. get up and have like a Noldor sword. So he seems to be like some kind of corrupted elf yeah, um, that is now leading these orcs that people thought were disbanded. Or maybe destroyed completely. And the fact that they call him father and he seems to be a corrupted elf makes me wonder, is he like the literal father of these orcs? Um, was he used, as we know, like Morgoth corrupted elves to create the race of orcs? Like, was he used to create this new breed of orcs? Right. Which I think is a really interesting concept to play around with. Yeah. But yeah, they've been tunneling all underneath like the Southlands, which we know will eventually be Mordor. And we also get in the Numenor storyline a little bit about you know, this Sauron sigil that we've been seeing. <laughs> sigil, my ass. Even our wisest could not tell. This yeah. is just a map of... Uh... Oh my gosh. Yeah, this is a little bit of a silly thing where it's like, oh, how blind can I be? It's a map. And it's like, yeah, I mean, truly, well, like, turn I mean, it on its side. All the, all the fans were like, I think that's Mount Doom. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And we hear a little bit about this backup plan that... Morgoth's successor had in case Morgoth was overthrown right. to all kind of gather at this spot. And in the books, we know that Mount Doom was used for Sauron's sorcery. And even in the first episode, we got a little hint from Galadriel when she's arguing with that other elf. She's saying that, you know, he could still be out there perfecting whatever dark arts eluded him here. Mm-hmm. So again, I think Mount Doom is the destination for either Sauron or Adar and a lot of these other characters. Um, right. There's something about Mount Doom that is attracting a lot of people. So let's go on and just talk about what we liked about this episode, sure. regardless of the the rubric. I would say that the best scenes of this show come from Aran Deer and the other elves who have been captured yeah. by the orcs and mm-hmm. are, are being used to create these tunnels. Yeah, this was easily the most compelled I've been by Aran Deer's story so far. I really liked seeing these elves like enslaved by orcs. It reminded me a lot of, you know, a lot of the elves of the first age being captured by Morgoth and yeah. being forced to labor in the mines of Angband. Yeah, this is very much not something we've seen in any of the Lord of the Rings adaptations to date. Yeah, which, you know? and it's such a huge part of the Silmarillion too, is these like uh, thralls or escaped thralls. And, the, you know, the threat of enslavement is always big in the Silmarillion for people that are captured by orcs. So I thought it was really cool to see that and kind of see just the harshness and brutality. You know, the scene where the orc is pretending to be nice and give them some water Mm -hmm. and then just for no reason really just kills one of the others. It was just like really drove home uh, like how depraved these beings are and how cruel they are. Um, Well, to the point of there, when that happened, I was like, why? I mean, you're getting rid of your like workforce like what a stupid thing to do now you've got to go kidnap more people like and i think that's also very orc like just like kind of stupid yeah although i mean i think it was with the intent of like cut down that tree and then eventually around your he's like i don't want anyone else to die yeah um 
And so, yeah, and I loved all the stuff with the tree, and I think we really got a sense of how much they respect nature. Yeah. I I wasn't a fan of the Watch Warden in the first episode or so, but I mean, I really liked him here, like him standing up to the orcs being like, this tree was like stood here before you were born. Right. Like, how dare you? I thought that was really cool, and Arondir asking forgiveness from the tree to cut it down. Yeah, I just, I, I really liked this whole sequence. I think something that's awesome in this section is the prosthetics and, and makeup that the orcs have. Oh, yeah. Really good. Uh, I like their design a lot. I like the bone-wearing armor stuff. I, I, I just think that, like, I mean, the orcs were always really good in the Peter Jackson movies. Well, in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Oh. Yeah. Not all the Peter Jackson movies. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, in in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And it would be, you know, potentially difficult to, like, outdo that uh, or do something different. But that is still, like, really good. Uh, and I think they've really succeeded there. Yeah. Um, this design's awesome. It's also, like, a little, like, it's a different type of disgusting Mm-hmm. Like, then, you know, seeing the orakai kind of, like, birth out of these squirming egg sacs in the mud, and, and it, yeah. it's so gross. But, like, these guys are, are different, but but it is still, like, they're pretty repulsive. Yeah, and, well, I just like the little bit of world building with how sensitive they are to the sun yeah. and how that, um you know, that's why they're tunneling, but that's also why they're wearing these skulls over their faces sure. and these, like, cloaks made out of some kind of animal skin. Yeah. Um, we're getting excellent context for the orcs that we're not getting for like the Numenorians. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And also, I mean, we've talked about how much we like the orcs and, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, and it's, I think it's important to keep in mind, like the nature of evil in Tolkien's world. It's not like everyone's pure evil. It's like everyone started out at a good state and then has fallen. Yeah. They've all been corrupted. And so I, again, with like all the sun, I, I kind of feel bad for them, you know? Totally. Um, yeah. And I hope they kind of play a little bit with that, especially with them being led by an elf. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's, again, just a lot of great uh, material there to work with. Sure. Absolutely. So I'm excited about that. I think I've mentioned all the things that I like. What What okay. have you liked from this episode? Um, well, we haven't touched much on the Harfoot storyline. Oh, okay, yeah. And there's, you know, a few things I want to say there. Not that this is an element that I don't like about the show, but... Uh, I find it interesting how harsh the Harfoots seem to be. <laughs> yeah. um, but I mean, I think that just goes to show like how, um, how serious they are about surviving and how much of a liability they do think it is. If people fall behind, it almost recalls to mind the, uh, the Fremen in Dune. Yeah. Um, you know, they're like, if you're a liability to the tribe, I'm sorry, but like you can't hang with us. And I think that is also kind of, interesting with the later hobbits of the shire where they're like we don't leave the shire right um bad things happen when you leave the shire uh, you see that uh thought ingrained in them this early on and you know you can see how that would definitely be a dominant aspect of their society later on but what i really liked about this episode and it was these small moments i i think poppy is my favorite harfoot um and we've got a little bit more context about how her whole family's dead yeah I mean, I think everyone's paying attention to, like, Nori, and I think that actress is great, and I think the character is great, and her family, and all of them, but I really just get the sense Poppy's going to be, like, the Sam of this storyline. <laughs> yeah. uh, she's really going to stop being the sidekick at some point, and step more up, and that actress is just great. There's just these little moments, like, in the last episode, the Firefly, and she, like, sheds a tear for it, um, 
and her always pushing back on Nori like, listen, I know you're trying to do the right thing, but just use your head and right. think. Right, yeah. I really like her character a lot. Yeah. And um, I I liked a lot of what we saw from this. And I, I mean, it, it broke my heart and made me really sad, especially seeing her pull her own card at the end. Why are they carrying such heavy things around? You know, like, it's also like, I don't know what they're carrying around. I wish I knew more about that. Yeah. I mean, I, I was thinking it really is just kind of their... Um, you know, later hobbits have their hobbit holes for each sure. of their families. I think this is like, you know, their house that they're carrying before they have holes in the ground. But yeah. Seems like there are lighter designs that they could <laughs> Yeah, adopt. like they can't like go backpacking, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I just, uh, I think that part is a little, um, for me, I, I get a little in the weeds with it. But I think it's there to show us characters like Poppy. Mm-hmm. I talked a little bit about the stuff I liked in Numenor, like some of the world building with the design, but one other scene in particular that I thought was, I wasn't crazy around the context surrounding it, and we'll get into that next, but I loved the actual meat of the scene, felt very Tolkienian, was when Muriel was questioning Elendil about his name. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, anyone that knows Tolkien know that this was all about names and uh, language, and so talking about how the name Elendil means, you know, lover of stars, but, oh, it also means elf friend. And using that uh, conversation to do some world building about the political divisions in Numenor, I I thought that was just so cool how they did that. And I think it did a lot of great character development, world building, and again, paid homage to what Tolkien actually cared about, which was language Words, yeah. and how it reflects societies. Yeah. I'm also uh, enjoying Halbrand a little more. I loved Halbrand. An original character. I didn't care much about him the first time. And I mean, in all the promo lead up, I've just been like, who's this fuck boy? But he's great. I I, I find him actually pretty endearing and uh, pretty interesting. Yeah, he seems like an anti-Aragorn type character. But Uh, we learn a lot more about him and his background. And yeah, I, I just think it's really interesting. I'm. I mean, I'm a loser, so I really want him and Galadriel to hook up, even though I know that's like totally, I mean, it's not. Oh, that's a big no-no. In canon, but um, who cares? Come on, they're the two hottest people on this show. I mean, I want him to fall for Galadriel, but I want him to have no chance. Sure. Um, I, I like the idea that everyone's asking, where's Celeborn? She should be married to Celeborn already. Celeborn sucks. I mean, yeah, I agree with that. But I like the idea that she's already with him. It's just like, it's not going to be brought up till it's relevant. Yeah, because she doesn't give a shit. Like, <laughs> so what? She's married. That's like not her focus. Yeah, I mean, I, I that's just me. There have yeah. been a few moments where they get kind of like physically close. And I'm just like, oh, I'm just a loser. <laughs> um I just, I just really want to see him really start to develop and this, uh, these feelings, and they're sort of getting this uh, repertoire together, and then like he's finally about to like make his move, and then she sees her husband, yeah, and he's like, "Wait, you're married? You're married?" And he, she's like, "I mean, yeah, like," and he's like, "I thought we we had something." Well, uh, I- I'm sorry, you thought that. <laughs> yeah, uh, I would love that because I think Halbrand is going to go on a darker path. Yeah, that's that's cool. I um. I just, I, I do feel like we're not going to get a lot of romance in this show. And of course, that's like a... Or not any happy romance. Or any like, no, or I, any I, sexy I romance. Yeah, no, not, I mean, I don't care if it ends bad, but like, I want a little, you know, a little something. 
give me some touch, you know? But like, uh, uh, that's my personal problem. Yeah. Maybe Elrond and Galadriel's daughter, if she exists in a later season. (sighs) Okay. (laughs) I don't know. Elrond doesn't do it for me. (laughs) Not in this iteration, I guess. Okay. So that was enough love to this Mm -hmm. show. Let's get on to things that we didn't like. And I think something that's very interesting about this show is there's so many things that I, I just, you know, they're fine. They don't offend me. They're whatever. Yeah. Um, but the things that bug me kind of like are pretty small, mm-hmm. but they are like huge for me. Yeah. They like make me feel very emotional. <laughs> um, where do you want to start? Back on Numenor, you know, we already talked a little bit about how we would like a little more context about the division between Kingsmen and the Faithful. But what really, I think, got to me was the fact that Muriel doesn't know who Elendil is. Yeah, that's fucking weird. I mean, not only, I mean, in the books, he's the Lord of Andunier, which is like this close counselor to the King's line there. I mean, one could almost say they're kind of akin to the stewards of Gondor to the Kings of Gondor. Um, Here, he's just kind of a ship captain. Um, who, I mean, he's promoted, I guess, in this, but... Yeah, maybe this is him becoming that, but... But, uh, you know, in the books, it was like his family was... That was their position. And (laughs) also, if we go back to the history, um, you know, there was a point, I think it was after the fourth king of Numenor, he had two daughters, and then his youngest was his son. Right. And the kingship passed to the male heir. Um, But Elendil is descended from that eldest daughter so he is of the line of elros and erendil like of the eldest line sure and so eventually all of that changes and and of course right now there's a woman ruler yeah yeah but if it would have always passed that way then elendil would be the king of numenor right (laughs) now um so i don't know i just i find that very strange um well it's strange when you consider actual like royal families and like they keep track of all of that stuff and and it's well known and yeah all the um you know other family members of that line so it's like he would be like muriel's distant cousin so he would still be probably known uh so i found that very weird um yeah, she's like, who's this guy? <laughs> and they're like, oh, he's just a guy. And he's it's just a captain. They're like, well, they didn't mention his family was once uh, very well known. I'm like, yeah, I mean, they were like the first four kings of Numenor, you yeah. know? Like, um, So I find that just a little interesting. And then also asking about the name Elendil, because that king who, uh, you know, didn't pass to his daughter, he was Tar Elendil. That's who Elendil's named after, is right. that king. I don't know. That that kind of bugged me just from a, a fan's point of view. Yeah, to- um, 100%. I, I feel like if you're, you know, don't know much about that, it, that doesn't bother you at all. But Well, that I mean, again, another problematic theme of this show is that there are these moments where we get the like Hollywood gloss where it's like yeah. there's dialogue or something happens that if you knew nothing about anything, maybe that would make sense or feel fine but if you know any of it it's sort of like wait hold up that was like a major mischaracterization or mm-hmm. like a major kind of like you're not even going to go into that or like oh that's just totally so different in this like such a small way it's all these small things but i i find them very um annoying at the same time when we're still on numenor we get this infuriating scene between elendil a sealed door and Aarian, where 
I just, I, I hate this scene. I understand we're supposed to be learning so much, but like, it feels like other scenes of this episode were cut out. Um, that might have held a little more information. Yeah, like the whole when they were sitting down at that table, I just wasn't sure. I was like, am I am I supposed to understand what they're talking about? Or am I just supposed to kind of let it wash over me and it will be more explained later? Um, I'm sure that's the case. And like but- I rewatched it and I understood it a little bit more, but it was very like like the, the beats of the conversation were very fast paced. And like it it went by before you could really grasp what was even happening. And well, again, conflict where they're is none sort of or like conflict where like does there have to be conflict here you know this whole like a sealed or like wanting to go to the west side of the island and you know we can surmise what that means and we can surmise that his brother has already gone there and is an elf friend and or is one of the faithful and that maybe he wants to do something similar too but there's just a lot of weird things happening here that like i get it but it I think if I knew nothing about anything, I'd be pretty lost. Yeah. <laughs> and just be like, what? Like, why would I care about some of this stuff? And um, yeah, I mean, like, I, again, I couldn't tell is like, am I supposed to be following this or am I what I'm supposed to take away is like, this is just a complicated family with like issues, you know? Um, I don't know. I just like when the the messenger comes and. She's like, oh, my God, I was accepted into my apprenticeship. And like a sealed door is walking out and then his father's like trying to congratulate him. I just found it. I found it to be clunky to, for no fault of the actors. I, I think the actors are like doing the best oh, they yeah. can with with sections like this. That's another uh, we didn't talk about the pro, but I mean, I think all oh, the actors in the show the actors are great. Are great. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, there's Nothing like not a bad about. performance in the yeah. show, I don't think. Yeah, some writing is suspect, but yeah. not the actors. I, I could use just a little tightening up yeah. of some of the writing. So that part was just weird. Yeah. And I was just like, I fucking hate that. You know, like, it's so easy to not do stuff like that, I think. You know, they didn't take a big risk in doing it. It's just like a, a throwaway scene that is more confusing than elucidating. So Yeah, again, if the whole conversation is about, like, a seal door uh, joining up with the faithful and... I still have no more uh, clear idea about what the division between the Kingsmen sure. and the Faithful is. Yeah, exactly. Um, that didn't elucidate any of that. So, yeah, I agree. That, that was, you know. Somewhat along the same lines, um, a slight frustration I was starting to have by the end of this episode is the portrayal of Galadriel. Again, nothing to do with the actress. I think she is awesome. But she's a little bit spitfiery, a little mm-hmm. bit youthful. Yeah. Um, and I mean, again, kind of we, you know, this this is where the Hollywoodization of this, I think, comes in. Like, we got to give her a character arc. So we got to start her at a place where she's pretty extreme to, like, mellow her out eventually. Um, but I do think sometimes it's a little like I, I know Gladriel is very proud and rebellious but, you know, the way they've been portraying her is as this kind of young, younger, hothead elf. When she is much older and wiser than Gil-Galad and Celebrimbor. Yeah. Well, I don't know if... Yeah, I don't know. It's just... it. it I Again, I don't mind her popping off and being really uh, prickly about hunting down Sauron sure. and stuff. I think that makes a lot of sense, but... 
Just, she's a little it, too impulsive. I she's think. very impulsive, and it, it, it's kind of surprising. And to me, I mean, I love books that are written about characters like the way they're portraying Galadriel. Mm-hmm. As a big Throne of Glass fan, I'm just like mourning the fact that this actress will never get to play Selena Sardothi, and she's perfect for it. Like, yeah. and the way they've written Galadriel is perfect for that. I think it's an um, like unimaginably popular trope, right? This is like how you sell fantasy to young women. Yeah. Our characters like how they're portraying Galadriel. But I mean, she's the oldest elf in the show, supposedly, you know, like yeah. by canon. So I, it's sort of like she's also she to me, she's not serving like angry old woman. She's serving like. I have all of my dreams to like go, you know, yeah. like, I can do anything. You can't tell me what to do old man you know that's that's the what she's serving right now yeah and like again i know her arc she's going to change she's you know this is not going to be galadriel in season probably even season two um but i'm just kind of like i'm ready for them to hurry up with developing her (laughs) i mean it's just like i feel like we've just been you know they've really been nailing it down and my biggest issue was uh like she threatens to kill elendil at one point and i'm like (laughs) that's a little like you know, I'm willing to have some wiggle room with her and this, you know, how far they portray proud and rebellious. Um, but that was just a little step too far for me. I mean, those shitty elves up north deserved that more than Elendil did. <laughs> I know, exactly. So, he's just trying to be her friend. Yeah, he's trying to help her escape. <laughs> like, yeah. anyway. Um, yeah, so that was a bummer. But I think all of that kind of pales in comparison to what I want to talk about next, which I would say for me is just the most like egregious trespass of, of like good showmaking. Um, and that is the warg. Yeah. You've not been too happy about the, uh, the creatures, whether it's the, uh, the snow troll, the water dragon and, and now the warg. I just think like, look at how good the orcs look. And even how good that wolf looked in the scene with the Harfoots, you know? Yeah, the wolf thing, I don't know exactly what and it is. And it's because but... they weren't trying to do a big action scene with it. It's because it's just kind of there and threatening. And I, per, for me, that's what CGI and what, like, beasts can do in a story is they can be there. And maybe eventually there's, like, a big scene. But I don't think that there should be a big creature scene in every single episode and we've gotten one in every single episode yeah like i it felt a little unnecessary to me i thought already the orc fight and prison escape was compelling i didn't need just like a you know release the warg and you know then it's just killed and it didn't really have too much impact on the story and i just wasn't crazy about the design well let me just say like i would probably feel complex about it even if it was a good design but the fact that it was like the worst cgi Uh. design of, like, a dog-like creature I've seen, pff, I don't know, fucking in years? Like, Yeah, well, well here, here, here's my issue with the wargs. Um, I did not like their design in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I thought they looked way too much like hyenas. But at least they were, like, fairly practical. Yeah. Um, now, they were CGI in The Hobbit, but I loved their design. Sure. Uh, I think that's what wargs should look like. Here, it's like CGI, and they went back to the hyena, and it just, it didn't do it for me at all. (laughs) I mean, what the fuck? It seemed like a joke to me. Everything 
could have been passable, but the eyes are like five times as big as they should be. And it makes it really cute in this like cartoonish way. Yeah, for me, that's the issue. Just look a little more. I think it could have worked if the the tone of the show was different. But I mean, the way the show's been set up, it just it felt like it was from a different uh, Lord of the Rings adaptation. It felt like a a stand in. To me, this is what the wargs in the Hobbit movie should have looked like compared to what the rest of the Hobbit movie was like. Sure. Um, I see what you're saying. yeah, Yeah, like with like how goofy the dwarves looked. It's like this is like the level of goofiness the wargs should have looked there but there was just no part of me able to suspend my disbelief and and here's here's my big thing is like i understand that having animals on set is a huge liability for a production you know they they have to make sure that they have uh like a representative a human representative for each um animal and that they have a trainer for each animal that it's it's a big overhead cost but there's a lot you can do with a green screen and, and, and using an animal. And um, it's also like animals are pretty scary on their own, you know, like like domestic animals can just, be scary just sometimes. Just a big scary wolf would be plenty scary. Absolutely. Um, um, yeah, like honestly, like I don't know. I, I just think that we're missing out on something that could be like solemnly scary and kind of like, Ooh, that, that thing's powerful. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, and instead we're given this like hyena stuffed animal who also gave me hedgehog vibes. And like, it was just very, I don't, my brain doesn't know what to do with, with that image. And, um, it's just silly. Like I can't, I can't, take the scene seriously and it's a pretty serious scene but it also never needed a warg like at all yeah uh just frustrating and i i really worry that each episode is gonna have a um a beast like this and, and we're gonna continue on down this path of just horrible shit <laughs> yeah so we mentioned a little bit about Halbrand earlier and we learned a little bit more about supposedly his backstory i think there are some people in line that are still um doubting that some people still think he's sauron but we learn that his ancestor took a blood oath to morgoth and that he is you know the king of the southlands um that we had heard earlier them talking about and just tying this back to the lore a little bit in the silmarillion in the battle of unnumbered tears there were these easterlings the chieftain who was Alfang the Black, and uh, he had the son who was known as Aldor the Accursed, because during the Battle of Unnumbered Tears, he was allied with the forces of Mithras, and uh, they betrayed them. And that was probably the major reason why they lost the Battle of Unnumbered Tears. And so I'm assuming that's who Halbrand is talking about here. I would also guess that the sword that Theo has that drinks his blood is the probably a sword that was used during the blood oath with mm-hmm. Morgoth. I hope we see more of that. Totally. Um, but given that those guys were Easterlings and he is the descendant of them. Um, and I've always thought Halbrand is prime material for a ring wraith. I, my personal theory right now is that he is Kamul, the Easterling mm-hmm. who is the only named ring wraith we get um, in unfinished tales. 
uh, he's actually the ring wraith that led the hunt for the ring in the Shire. Mm-hmm. So he's the one that the hobbits are hiding from when they, you know, get off the road and he's asking like Shire Baggins. Yeah. Um, cool. So I think it's kind of cool to think like that might be Halbrand. Sure. Um, but yeah. Um, do you have any thoughts on Halbrand and what you think he might be? I just love him and, you know, he's the only hot guy so far so like i mean he's not even that you know whatever but like he he has the makings of a romantic character so i hope we see something that is not just friendship yeah i mean what i think is that he's going to fall for galadriel um there was a little uh hint here uh when the numenorians were teasing him saying that you know that elf woman might want a man of better breed right um you know and we know she's with an immortal elf Kelborn. <laughs> yeah um i think this could uh lead to a desire for immortality that maybe a ring of power could grant right so i mean again yeah. i think he's i think that could be his origin into a ring wraith totally. is wanting to be with galadriel yeah also that numenorian mentions uh the she-elf which the only other time we've heard that, um, at least in the movies, is when one of the Ringwraiths says to Arwen, give up the halfling she-elf. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, that just put my mind right in the Ringwraith. Right, uh, yeah. And this is Galadriel's granddaughter. So, I don't know. I'm I'm pretty firmly in the, he's a future Ringwraith. And if he is, given his ancestry, I would say he's Kamal the Easterling. Cool. Um, yeah, I, I I just liked that stuff, so... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We have gotten to see a little bit more of the stranger. Yeah, this didn't really develop anything else. I mean, I'm I feel like I'm in the minority. I still am pretty convinced he's Sauron. I think he's Sauron. You know, um He breaks Nori's father's leg and then steps up to help them. I I just think it's all too and also the fact he kind of outs Nori as the one yeah. that's been helping him, which is like, that's what gets them kind of, uh, put to the back, of you know, the blacklisted group. and, you yeah. know, kind of isolated from the rest of the crew, which, I mean, if you're a manipulator, you know, you want to isolate your victim from other people. Yeah. Uh, and then he offers, you know, Hey, I can help. You're my friend. Um, it, it's, which is a it's, very scary take on Sauron. Yeah. I mean, again, if it's like, if Halbrand Sauron, well, he obviously has this rage in him and like, yeah. it's like, it's a little obvious i mean sure. i would want sauron to be a guy that just is like soft boy um you know like friend yeah. you know to me that's terrifying yeah, if absolutely. that is sauron so yeah my my thoughts haven't really changed there let's get on to your big theory that is a, like a theory existing but like i would say it's the kind of biggest leap oh yeah <laughs> it, it's a crazy theory and i mean i don't even know how this would work with the rights at all um and I, I I had heard this a while ago and just kind of scoffed at it and be like, that would be weird. But now I'm kind of like, I don't know. Um, but it's that Adar is actually Maglor. Like I said, we know he's like a corrupted Noldor elf. Doesn't get more corrupted than the Sons of Fanor. Exactly. Um, now, granted, he could just be a random elf, but I mean, there were leaks earlier that he was Galadriel's family. She, the sons of Feanor, Maglor is her first cousin. cousin. Yeah. One shot in particular we saw of Adar where he has a, a armored gauntlet on one hand, but his other hand is completely bare, hinting something's weird about one of his hands. Right. 
we know Maglor, the Silmaril, burned his hand when he claimed it at the end of the Silmarillion, and he threw it into the sea. And, and now he's still constrained by the oath and um, lives a pretty miserable existence. Yeah. So if, you know, Sauron's looking for a, you know, morally corrupted elf to... Uh, to use. To use to create a new batch of orcs. I mean, Maglor is there. And one interesting thing I also found that I haven't seen a lot of people talking about is the tapestry with Elrond and Elros. There's one elf and Elrond's following in that that to me really stands out. He's completely in shadow. All the other elves are either looking towards the center, like at Elros, or -hmm. looking straight ahead. They all seem to have like a slight smile. This one elf is in shadow. He's looking away. He's Mm -hmm. looking down. And he looks very sad. And uh, I instantly thought of Maglor, even before I was thinking of the Maglor-Adar theory. But then when I looked at him, I'm like, he also looks like Adam. Yeah. <laughs> um, so again, all these things kind of adding up. Um, but it's like, but what would he be doing with Sauron? It just makes me think of uh, Mount Doom. Uh, we know Mithras took one of the Silmarils into the heart of, you know, the fires at the heart of the world. Could Sauron be promising through his sorcery to somehow retrieve it up from the world? Also being a former pupil of Aule. And being constrained by the oath, he has to take this. Maybe it's like he doesn't even want to lead the orcs, but right. he literally has to. Yeah. Um, I think that could be... I mean, again, it would be just a totally made-up storyline, but... Um, it would be a good use of lore, though. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of fans have been like, whatever happened to Maglor? I yeah. mean, all we get is that he sang regretful <laughs> songs by the sea for eternity, but... <laughs> right. You know, maybe, but that's because he was like yearning for that Silmaril. But maybe if he got a chance to get the one that's in the earth, he's now switched and taking that on. Um, the actor that plays Adar, uh, Joseph Mall, has been pl- posting some cryptic things on Instagram. <laughs> one thing was not pure, not evil, which again, I think that's. Pretty. I mean, that could apply to any of the Noldor. Um, <laughs> yeah, but definitely the Sons of Fanor. Yeah, and then he posted another quote, too, with the poster of Adar, and it was a quote from, like, the Ainu Lindale about the Song of Iluvatar. And we know Maglor is always associated as a mighty singer and, like, harp player. Um, he's a musician. So I think there's some interesting material there to play with, um, and it's, it's at least fun to speculate, even yeah. if it is a pretty out-there theory. And again, Maglor is only mentioned in the Silmarillion, I don't think they have the rights to that, so I don't know how, unless this is one of those special allowances they got from the estate. Right. Um, I think it could be interesting. And given that Adar means father, I mean, we know father figure to the orcs, but also Maglor was like a father to Elrond. So again, I think that thematically fits. Yeah, I think it's a great potential Mm -hmm. you know i think it's uh you're doing a lot here but like yeah i i do i am interested in who adar is and i think it would be great if he turned out to be a a son yeah i just i highly doubt he's sauron oh give me a break sauron's not in the freaking trenches digging with the the orcs there's no way and i just don't think they're going to introduce us to sauron with the characters themselves theorizing is Is this this sauron Sauron? you know i think that's just a little on the nose no you only um have your characters in a fictional work speculate or make a plan if it's going to be wrong or like destroyed (laughs) yeah and again i think a lot of people are latching onto it because he does appear to be an elf and i think a lot of people have in their headcanon pictured 
Sauron's fair form as an elf, even though that is actually never mentioned anywhere. Right. That's just like fan art. I mean, um, yeah. <laughs> again, I think fair could just apply to like a, uh, you know, everyone thinks that the stranger is Gandalf or one of the blue wizards. I think a fair form could just apply to like a, a starry looking dude. Yeah. He's, he's a wise man. He's, I mean, th- everyone thinking the stranger is Gandalf is like more and more proof to me that it's Sauron. Because it's like, you would be fooled. Well, yeah, Tolkien says that Sauron in the Second Age, he posed as an emissary of the Valar in a simulated anticipation of the Astari. Um, Which is exactly what he looks like. And the only, <laughs> the only reason this can't be Gandalf is it's too soon. So again, it, if, it, it's an anticipation of the Astari, you know. Yeah. I, to me, I think it's obvious, but I don't know. Okay, apparently not. Apparently not. Okay, well, we'll be back next week for episode four and yes we will until then you know try to follow us on our twitter at half as well pod and make sure to subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts or you can check us out at half as well podcast.com i'm sage and i'm william and this is half Half as As Well. well